0: This episode of Get Booked is sponsored by the Read Harder Journal from Book Riot and Abrams Notary. Created by Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among the entries are twelve challenges inspired by our annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed-over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books, get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant, find a hidden gem published by an independent press, and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quote, an explanation of why the challenge would prove to be rewarding, and five book recs that will help you fulfill it. The Book Riot Read Harder Journal is a great gift for readers, and it champions the activist approach to reading in a way that no other reading journal quite does. So go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal to get yours. This is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 147, and we are recording on September 14th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome to the show. Thank you very
1: much. I'm very happy to be here. I love giving. Is this your
0: first time? On bo- Get Booked?
1: You know what? I was thinking it was, and then I remembered that I actually guest-hosted with Jen and Elliot de-, de Boudard for a Get Booked, like, science fiction fantasy-themed, and it was really, really cool. Yeah, that was
0: that was a while ago, like, when you first started. That was a long time ago, yeah. It feels yeah. like
1: years ago,
0: I'm sure it was like I know, nice. like, long enough ago that I have forgotten that that happened. <laughs> um, Jen is in Europe being fancy. I think she's in nice. Ireland right now. Oh, yeah. For the next two weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this episode and our next episode, I have guests to help to, you know help me out. Um, and I, there's no theme this week. I know, you, you know, Sharifa co-host uh, SFF Yeah, which is our sci-fi fantasy podcast with Jen. Go check that out if you haven't listened to it. If I were an intelligent person, I would have picked all science fiction and fantasy questions for this, but I didn't. <laughs> so, that's just...
1: Whoops!
0: Hi. So, what are you reading now?
1: Um, I am actually reading a. Sci- well, this is funny because it's Colson Whitehead, and I'm reading Zone One. And it's funny, I say, because Colson Whitehead is always like they're all, they always say, you know, it's literary fiction, but you know, it's science fiction. It's about zombies, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, the world after the, this apocalyptic sort of. Disease. I'm actually halfway through it, so I'm still trying to figure out like what exactly caused it or if there was a cause or whatever. But it's very cerebral. Like it was what I expected from Colson Whitehead, whose writing I really enjoy. I've only read The Underground Railroad from him. Mm. So I really wanted to read something different, like something from his earlier writing career. And I don't know. I just love his, his writing and his style. And it's so spare and it's so much about... The mind while you're trying to survive, which in my head, I'm like, it would probably just be a lot of screaming in my brain and not much talking if there were zombies in this world.
0: <laughs> I would die so quickly. Like, first wave. I know.
1: Done. Same. It's like fine. How, how? How do
0: you even deal with it? I don't have a bumper. I, I've embraced this, that this is just who I am. I am a side character who would die in the first ten pages.
1: <laughs> it's good to know what you are. It is. It is. <laughs> what are you reading?
0: Um, I just started a book called When by Daniel H. Pink, which kind of made the rounds a bit of the book riot um, staff, or at least the upper management, like executives, all read it, and mm-hmm. so I finally got it. Did you read? Have you read this yet?
1: I have not, so I'm okay. out.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I waited forever for like months and months on my library hold list and I finally got it in and this is like a socio-psychological book about um, like the rhythms of our days and how people make their best decisions usually in the mornings and then in the evenings after work is over and like things about, um, you know, like at the timing of when you drink coffee, the timing of when you take naps and, and like how to optimize that sort of stuff. Throughout your day. Basically, we're all jerks at 3 p.m. is the thesis <laughs> of, of this. And so now I'm like, I need to reschedule all of my conference calls.
1: <laughs> you're, you're like cracking your knuckles before you get on the phone I know, with somebody. But it's
0: at true. Time. At 3 p.m. I'm like, done. My brain is no longer functioning. Um,
1: I could totally see that. I wake up really early in the morning just to do the things that are important. But also, I think I remember the coffee conversation from this
0: book and... I don't know about that. Yeah, the nappuccino. If y'all have heard about the nappuccino, (laughs) it comes from this book. It's like the idea is when you start hitting that lull in the afternoon, you drink a cup of coffee, immediately take like a 20-minute nap. So when you wake up, the caffeine is just starting to hit. So you get the double like I am refreshed from sleeping and I've got a caffeine boost. So you kind of rev up for the – I have not tried this. I feel like if I drink a cup of coffee, I would just have to go to the bathroom immediately and not (laughs) – Would not be able to sleep. But anyway, we don't have to talk about that. (laughs) Moving on. How the show works. This is, as I said, a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a book recommendation for yourself or your loved one or your book club or you're going somewhere and you want to read about it before you get there, you can send any and all of those to us. You can email them to us at getbookedatbookright.com or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please put that in big, bold letters in the subject line or in the first line if you're using the form. Excuse me. We might email you back instead of answering your question on the show if we're not going to get to it in time, or we've already answered it, so keep an eye on your email for that. We don't have any feedback this week, so Jen and I must have done a great job last week. Huzzah. So we are going to roll right into it. Sharifa is going to read our first question, and I will then tell you about our first sponsor. So go, go, Gadget,
1: Sharifa. Okay, so this one comes from Amy, and I'm going to cut it down a little, Amy. So um Amy's looking for some book recommendations. She had some beta readers for her first YA sci-fi novel. Congratulations to you on that. That's very exciting. And her husband was one of these beta readers, Steve. Uh, She says, I'm gifting each of my beta readers with a book specific to their taste as a thank you gift. I've struggled with finding the right book for Steve in the past. He currently reads mostly business books, nonfiction, but he said many times he would love to pick up some fiction that really speaks to him, and I'd love to help him with that. Um, Some of his tastes, she mentions, are science fiction and fantasy, yay, possibly YA with strong writing and lots of heart. Humor is always good, too. Um, Nothing too violent or dark he loves the harry potter books who does not and (laughs) (laughs) he's a fan of star wars star trek and marvel superheroes disney world in orlando is his favorite vacation spot that's funny uh random but possibly relevant yeah uh, it's always relevant um so yeah thanks for any assistance happy reading
0: vibes i want to be friends with steve i know he sounds like a cool dude let's go to disney world steve steve and amy we're going. Field okay, trip. so our first sponsor, before we get to answering your question for Steve, our first sponsor is Ghost Road by Karis Cotter. In Ghost Road, the main character Ruth arrives in Newfoundland for the summer to stay with family that she's never met, so she has no idea what to expect. Thankfully, her cousin Ruby is there to help her navigate all of the quickly discovered family secrets a mysterious ghostly visitor, and a curse that binds the two girls together if they can survive the ghost road. The book is brimming with suspense and is a classic ghost story sure to delight fans of doll bones or if you liked Coraline, this would probably be right up your alley. So go check out The Ghost Road by Karis Cotter. Newfoundland is how you're supposed to say it, not only that I said it, which is Newfoundland, which is wrong. So I apologize for that. I would have done this. Anyway! (laughs) All right, I'm just going to keep talking. So the, the, the book that I picked for you is actually a series. Um, it's called The Queen's Thief is the name of the series by Megan Whelan Turner. The first book is just called The Thief. And this is a YA fantasy series. And I've read the first uh, two or three. I don't remember. Um, but they are super fast paced, really funny in like a dry, witty kind of way. And I think really good for people who enjoy Harry Potter. It has nothing to do with school or anything, but it's got this like, you know, battles of good versus evil considerations of ethical questions um and also really really funny interesting characters that you root for so the the uh in this like fantasy world the main character's name is gen or jen g e n i and it was gen in my head so i'm just going to go with it like Do in my it. brain yeah Again, um, who is in the king's prison when the book opens, and the king's scholar, like his head scholar, his, he's called the magus or the magus? Why why am I having so
1: <laughs> many trouble? Like, I'm having such trouble with G's today? How often do we say, M- I don't even know how to say it.
0: I think it's magus, like a mage.
1: Mages. Let's go with it. Whatever.
0: Yes. I'm gonna say the king's scholar. The king's head <laughs> scholar. Um, And, like, one of his biggest advisors thinks that he knows the site of this, like, ancient treasure that's going to give the king this great political power and this big, like, magical ability. But he needs someone to go get it. (laughs) And so he pulls Gen out of prison. And he's in prison for stealing from the king in this very difficult and impressive kind of way. um, Which he then went out, got drunk, and bragged about and was immediately arrested. Um, So he uh, pulls him out of jail and is like, you... In exchange for me not having you, you know, executed, you're going to go on this big journey with me to steal this item for my king. And Gan is, of course, like, okay, because prison is bad. And so they go on this, like, it's essentially a, like, a road trip story. They have, they're accompanied by a couple of the, uh, the scholars, like, interns, one of whom is very cranky, one of whom is, like, heart of gold. And you it's a very, like, Samwise, Gamgee kind of character who you will love. Um, a couple of, like, surly guards who also have hearts of gold. Everyone has hearts of gold here. And the thing that I love about this first book is that no one is who you think they are. And no one... The people that you start the book not rooting for are the people you end up rooting for. Like, there is no... And that's what I feel like it has a lot in common with Harry Potter in, like, a Severus Snape sort of way, where you never know... Like, the guys that you think, oh, this is black and white, this guy is obviously the bad guy, not so much. That's not what it turns out to be. And it's this great adventure, they've got this, uh, uh, Megan Whalen Turner has really excellent, like, fantasy, religious universe built into it. But at the end of the day, it's just a really super fun adventure road trip with, like, hilarious characters. So that's The Thief, book one, in The Queen's Thief by Megan Whalen Turner.
1: I want more fantasy
0: road trip books now. I know. I, know. <laughs> I want one where they're in a
1: car, though, like in a big van oh. together. <laughs> have
0: you read um, The Talented Ribkins? Is that what it's
1: no, but I've heard of that book. That's, in yes. a,
0: that's a road trip. That is. Yeah, that's what it's called, The Talented Ribkins. It was blurbed by Toni Morrison, and I'm amazed that, like, more people have not heard of this. But it is a fantasy road trip, like, magical realism kind of novel about an old man and his, like, great no i think it's just his niece his niece who's like a preteen, get in this old car and drive around florida together it's just oh my amazing. gosh that sounds yes. incredible
1: i'm gonna pick that up
0: <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> anyway uh my steve <laughs> steve <laughs> <laughs> My pick is one that's become kind of my Swiss Army recommendation. I've been recommending it a lot, but whatever. I'm new here, so um, this is especially <laughs> for science fiction fans, and I just think it's delightful and a great into to the science fiction genre for people who are new to it or intimidated by it or people, you know, like Steve who are not necessarily reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy right now um, and might want to get back into it. So I also chose the book because you mentioned heart and humor, and the series has so much of that. Uh, So The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet follows this ragtag blue-collar crew. They're running this jalopy spaceship. It's a total mess. And Rosemary Harper is the newest member of the crew, and Mm -hmm. through her we're introduced to this really funny bunch of people Um, and aliens, and everyone from the captain to the engineers has their own backstory, they have their own personal interests, and their internal struggle, including Rosemary, who kind of seems like, like, I very much related to the character of Rosemary, very introverted, very shy, you know, seems like the... uh, Like the straight and narrow sort of person and very placid. But she has her own skeletons in the closet and she has reasons for leaving her past behind to deal with these, you know, the mundane operations of this weird ship that punches wormholes through space. And then the story kind of kicks into high gear when the team's offered an opportunity they probably should but cannot resist. It's this big payout job that is super risky, but it's also super rewarding if they manage to somehow make it happen. And this is the first book in Becky Chambers' Wayfarer series, which right now it has three books out. The last one was just released in July. So, you know, if you like this first book, you can go into the next ones. And the second book is actually a standalone sequel. And I believe the third book is as well, because you're following a whole new cast of characters. So it's kind of one of those. I actually sometimes prefer these types of series. Uh, The Wayward Children series is kind of like that as well, where the second book you can just read by itself. Um, But if you like that sort of thing, this might be a great uh, series to check out for you as well. And Becky Chambers just writes with this effortlessness and a sense of humor, and it's really easy to get pulled into the story. All of the characters are fully fleshed. There's a lot of them, but she does. she's one of those writers who just does a really good job of making sure they all get some sort of attention. They all have a really unique voice, and they make the story really dynamic and lively. And yeah, I think this will totally get him back into science fiction reading and that was uh the long way to a small angry planet by becky chambers really all-around fun fast-paced science fiction read that i apparently can't recommend enough
0: (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the becky chambers show becky chambers riot Changing the name of the company. Alright, question two is from Lee who says, I'm heading to Sri Lanka in October for a fortnight. I love the word fortnight. I saw it's that so, too. Like, sophisticated. <laughs> I'm that heading to Sri Lanka for a fortnight and would love some recommendations to read during my trip. I would be most interested in fiction, no crime, thriller, horror, or books containing mental or physical abuse if possible. Alrighty, I picked Cinnamon Gardens by Cheyam Salvadurai. Which is actually historical fiction. It's set in, 1920s, um, set in the 1920s in Sri Lanka, back when it was called Ceylon. And this really follows two characters uh, a young teacher whose name is Anna Lukshmi, who is a woman who is very into her career. She is mostly concerned with career advancement, while her family and friends and all of society is mostly concerned with her getting married, which she is not really having. Um, and you also follow her uncle, who is a middle-aged dude who is very respectably married and is respectably working and is just, you know, respectable. But he is secretly gay and his life is kind of thrown into a very private tailspin when an old lover of his reappears and, you know, makes him question all the choices that he's made and... Um, what he wants out of his future. Keeping in mind that this is nineteen twenties South Asia. So there you go. Um and it's so it's really considering, you know, feminism and gay rights and all of these big seemingly contemporary um questions of civil rights and social justice through the lens of these two characters who just want to live their lives the way that they want in peace and quiet, um, in the twenties, which, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like you can imagine how that turns out for both of them. Um, but Anna Lakshmi, I think, is, is a really interesting character because she so deftly, like, turns away her family's really clumsy, like, attempts to get her married. Um, and along the way, she meets men who she's like, eh, you know, like, he's cute, meh, like, mildly attracted to, but she just never cares enough to be distracted from the things that she actually wants, which is her, um, her her career, to focus on her career. And then her uncle's plot or her uncle's like storyline is also it's a little bit more heartbreaking because he is not openly pursuing the things that he wants he's very quietly not pursuing the things that he wants like frustratingly for everyone um but just like hearing his inner dialogue and and the struggles that he's going through personally to make these choices about whether or not he wants to you know remain a respectably married man or go after what he actually wants are just really really heartbreaking so that cinnamon gardens by cheyenne salvadori
1: Our picks are so thematically similar, they're like cousins, book cousins. Um, My pick is Marriage of a Thousand Lies by S.J. Sindhu. And first of all, Roxanne Gay gave this book five stars on Goodreads and raved about it, so the end... I'm just kidding. I mean, she did, but that's not the end. Uh, The story doesn't take place in Sri Lanka, first off, but it does revolve around a Sri Lankan-American family and Sri Lankan culture. It's the story of a gay husband and wife putting up a marital front for the benefit of their conservative Sri Lankan-American families. And so Lucky and Krishna are going about these secret lives, doing their own thing, And by the way, both of them know this is a marriage of convenience, so there's no deception between them. Uh, They get to do their own thing while avoiding familial judgment. But when an event calls Lucky back to her childhood home, she hears word that, Um, her best friend and first love is also about to agree to this arranged marriage situation, and being back home and around Nyasha revives some of these old feelings, and Lucky sets about trying to convince Nyasha not to go through with her plans, even though you know she's done her own thing. And this is kind of, this is about the burden of expectations on queer people and the sacrifices people make to live their truths and these concessions people make to fit into a world where in many cases conservative values dominate the conversation. So this book isn't 100% happy go lucky, but there is some hope and beauty in it too and I actually really struggled to find something even close to lighthearted. Uh, by a Sri Lankan author set in Sri Lanka, and easily attainable as well. So I'm hoping we get more books like that. But for now, you know, Cindy's debut novel is this peek into the lives of one Sri Lankan family and community living in Boston, with these beliefs and traditions carried over to the US. And you know, the first generation trying to live out their identities. So I might be imagining this, but it might—it seems like there's a lot of great contemporary fiction out about marriage, like Amer- An American Marriage by Tiara Jones comes to mind immediately. So if you like books about relationships and family dramas and identity, and if you're open to looking at Sri Lankan diaspora, this book is, I think, a good one to check out. And that was, again, Marriage of a Thousand Lies by S.J. Sindhu. And (laughs) I am the next question. (laughs) I'm not used to this, as you can tell. So, okay, the next question comes to us from Tara. And Tara says, I'm currently on the hunt for more novels about Asian American women that probe what it feels like to be a young 20-something first-generation American with parents who immigrated not so long ago. I just finished and loved Emergency Contact*. I've been seeing that book everywhere. I have to read it. Mm -hmm. Um, As well as When Dimple Met Rishi. So I'm looking for more books in that vein. Open to YA as well as more adult novels like Hiri's The Namesake.
0: Um,
1: Okay. Should I go? Do you want to go?
0: Sure. I mean, if you want to keep going. Okay, go, I'll go. Go,
1: Gadget All That's right, the I love...
0: second
1: time I've said that today. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Um, I love this question, and I wrote an answer to this first and was like, no, I have a better book. So I chose Tresno Auntie by Maria Kumar because it is explicitly a handbook for 20-something Asian immigrants. And this isn't exactly what you asked for because Maria Kamar was born in Pakistan and moved to Canada with her family rather than the U.S., uh, but it, it really doesn't matter because this graphic guidebook speaks to the millennial living with an overbearing family, and it particularly speaks to South Asian immigrants with this concept of the auntie who represents that older uh, female figure who's always around and in your ear about living up to expectations and keeping to traditions. And I really snort laughed through a lot of this book, and also, thank the stars. Most of my family lives across the ocean, and I did not click accept <laughs> yes. on that family Facebook group invite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, So, anyway, the book examines that balancing act where you're developing your own identity, especially when you're a young woman making her way in the world and testing out careers and getting serious or not about relationships. Like, all of the things you do when you leave home. And then you're also trying to hold on to your culture because you do love and take pride in certain aspects of it and you're trying to keep the fam happy, including your extended family who, for some reason, take it upon themselves to check you now and then. Uh, So, the book is like, the big sister taking you aside to give you the tea on dealing with the aunties in your life and fending them off or finding sneaky ways to appease them without actually making any sacrifices, which is great. Uh, And it also gives some practical tips for living as a young, broke person, like cooking for yourself on a budget. I got a great recipe for a healthier chia seed kheer, which is an Indian rice pudding. Uh, I got that out of the book, so that's a plus. Uh, and Maria Kumar's art is really fun and colorful and vivid. She's on Instagram. You can check her out at hate Copy and see what I mean about her art style and her sense of humor. She creates these really iconic images that are reminiscent of vintage comics, but have a definite South Asian twist. So based on some of the reads you like, particularly When Dimple Met Rishi, which I also loved, it sounds like you're looking for something lighthearted involving parental interference. So I think you're gonna enjoy this graphic novel. And again that was Trust No Auntie by Maria Kamar.
0: Okay, I picked Re Jane by Patricia Park, which is a modern retelling of Jane Eyre set in Queens um with a Korean protagonist. It's amazing. So Jane is half Korean, half American. She is an orphan and she lives in Queens with her uh, uncle. Yeah, she lives in Queens with her aunt and uncle. And she works in her uncle's grocery store and has just graduated from high school and is like fine. Like she's doing fine. She is looking to get a, she's looking to go to college, um, get a job, do that whole like good manners, family obligation kind of thing. But she's not happy with any of that. So, like, on a whim, she ditches that whole plan Mm. and moves to Brooklyn to be an au pair for two Brooklyn English professors and their adopted daughter, who is from China. And so she goes from, like, working in Queens at the grocery store to this world of, like, Victorian novels and organic quinoa and no one shaves their armpits and this guy won't stop hitting on me um unsurprisingly like if you have read Jane Eyre I feel like you understand where this is going like the wife Beth her her um her study where she does her like academic feminist work is in the attic uh, mm. Ed Farley yeah mm-hmm, boop, right on the nose Ed Farley the husband um starts paying Jane a lot of attention uh and then there is a family death kind of interrupts this whole, like, trajectory that Jane and Ed's affair is heading down. And she leaves New York. She leaves New York. She flies off um, to Seoul, to uh, Korea, to reconnect with that side of her family and learn more about her own parents, how they met, and um, her family in Korea, and that side of her, like, culture that she, you know, she was raised by her uncle. It's not like she's completely disconnected from the Korean part of herself, but she is she has been so kind of like resentful of it for her whole life um, that while she's in Korea she really wants to try to overcome that. So the first half of the book is like is like the Jane Eyre part and then the second half is the Jane Eyre like Rochester part. And then the second half is like when Jane, you know, leaves and heads off and meets like Sinjin and does that whole the whole like self-discovery thing. Amongst the missionaries. There are no missionaries here. This is Jane in Korea rediscovering herself. And then when she gets back to Queens, she's got to figure out how to, like, balance these two cultures, both of which she's learned to accept, um, while also reconciling her feelings that she maybe does or doesn't have for the, the Rochester character. This, this dude, Ed, this, like seemingly brilliant to his own self. English professor, if you get what I'm saying. (laughs) It's a very updated. Um, I love the original Jane Eyre, but I will not say that it is without its issues, and I really like the way that Patricia Park, the author, takes the the problems that Jane Eyre has and kind of, and examines them through this lens of, like, immigration and being a hyphen, you know. Um, Filipino, I am Filipino-American. Jane is Korean-American, and, like, having to reconcile those two parts of yourself in a healthy way. So that is read Jane by Patricia Park. I also and it's love, my turn.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I also love Jane Eyre. <laughs> problematic favorite as well.
0: I do. I mean, I have a Jane Eyre tattoo. It's like I will never not read it. But, you know, all your faves are problematic. It's, it's fine. fine. That's how it is. All right, question four is from Jessica, who says, My book club recently read Circe, which is by Madeline Miller, and I was initially pretty skeptical of reading mythology thanks to being forced to read the Iliad in high school, but to my surprise, I loved it. Before I even finished Circe, I had gone out and gotten Song of Achilles and devoured that as well. Now I'm craving more mythology and stories about the Greek gods. Any recommendations on what to read next? All right, what you got, Sharifa?
1: Okay, well, I cheated a little. I love Ursula Le Guin. (laughs) So I chose her novel, Lavinia, for this recommendation. I was really pondering this one because I fell head over heels for Circe when I read the book, and I wanted to find something that would really capture that reading experience. So I ended up latching onto the theme of a female character of classic literature written by a man and given a voice by a woman, and Lavinia is inspired by Virgil's epic poem, The Aenid. Uh, I've never said that aloud, so I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, Okay, good. <laughs> so this is ancient Rome. And Lavinia herself was a character in the Aeneid who is placed on the sidelines as this voiceless character. She is kind of that trope of the princess the hero has to fight for. But then Ursula Le Guin sweeps in as she does and takes her from Virgil's story and gives her a voice and tells, tells the tale of this destructive fight for her hand. Uh, what a prophesied marriage will do to her life and to the future of Rome. So it has that same political intrigue that Circe had, except it takes place in a court of mortals rather than gods. But it does still have that mythological element. You've also got a backdrop of war as well with the Trojans and so in this retelling the character of Lavinia tries to reclaim her life by reclaiming her role in this story and Ursula Le Guin plays with form and breaks the third wall and she gets really imaginative with the retelling and I started reading this book actually when I read your question and came across the title while I was searching for something so I'm not done with it yet but it's been excellent so far and Le Guin and is an author whose work I can pick up and know I'll enjoy. So I have no hesitation about recommending her. And Madeline Miller has that same flair for feminist retellings and breathing life into characters that are often swept into the margins. And both are writers of beautiful prose and these sweeping stories that leave you kind of awestruck. But since this book didn't 100% fulfill what you're looking for in terms of focusing on Greek gods, I also wanted to shout out a fun romance recommendation starring my favorite from the Greek pantheon, Persephone, and that is Hot as Hades by Alicia Rye, which turns the story of Hades and Persephone on its head and gives her agency where she had none in the original story. It's a very steamy read. It's also a very good read. Um, So again, that was Lavinia by Ursula K. Le Guin, or Hot as Hades by Alicia Rye.
0: Alrighty, I picked The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker, which is a new release that actually came out today. Um, Pat Barker is super well known, she's won a booker, um, and this is a retelling of the Iliad, just like Song of Achilles, except from the point of view of Berseus, which if you're, how do you say it? Briseis, sorry, Briseis. So if you've read the Iliad, um, you're probably familiar with her story. It's kind of a side story a little bit. Briseis was the queen of a city that was just outside of Troy that the Greeks sacked on their way to Troy or during the war. And she was given as a gift from the army to Achilles um, and was a sex slave, uh, she's obviously, as most of all of these women who were taken prisoner were. Um, and then in like the political machinations of the Greek army um you know Achilles and Agamemnon get into this disagreement about who is going to uh like be in charge and it's got a lot to do with like another girl that Agamemnon took uh into slavery who was a um what do you call it a priestess for Apollo Apollo starts like raining punishment down on the Greek army and Agamemnon agrees to send the girl away but in exchange he wants to be given and so, this is from her point of view while she's going through all of these things, watching this army invade her city, kill her family, her brothers, her father, and then having to live as a slave for Achilles. Um, Patroclus is there. All of the characters that you know and have come to feel, I mean, even closer to once you've read the Song of Achilles. Are there but the thing that i like about this is is, is pat barker does not give Briseis any agency this is a it's a feminist retelling and as much as she gives her a voice and it takes off that glorification that we give of the trojan war it removes the valor and shows it for what it was which was pointless um pointless slaughter of men and enslavement of women and it is just like bearing witness to that experience. Briseis does not ever pretend that she is in control. She doesn't ever, you know, like, use her feminine wiles to manipulate Achilles into getting what she wants. Like, that never happens. She's never considered a person by any of the men in this book ever. Um, And that in and of itself is a feminist statement of, like, looking back on this period and recognizing that that just would not have happened, you know? Um, And... She uses a little bit of like, like, there's a little bit of the mythology in there. Apollo makes an appearance. Achilles' mother is a big character. Um, she thesis, thesis, she's the you know sea goddess. Um, but there's never, she's just, I don't even know how to like appropriately describe this, which is bad because that's what I do for a living, but it's just like quietly letting her story. Happen. Oh, and you know what? The other thing that I really appreciated about this book is she never comes to like Achilles. I feel like in a lot of these kinds of like feminist retellings of whatever, um, the dude who has done the bad thing, like, is given like a sympathetic point of view as a way to explain away his, what his, like, you know, patriarchy basically. That never happens here. Briseis never comes to like him. She never comes to feel sorry for him or connected to him in any way. Like, she just Consistently hates him from the beginning to the end, and I that like I just am glad that Pat Barker hung on to that. Um, so anyway, I'm gonna start raving about it. It is really good. <laughs> That's the Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker. <laughs> that sounds super satisfying. It is, it is. I mean, it's sad, and you know, it's not this thing where like she kills him in his sleep, like that. You know, yeah. it ends the way that it ends in the Iliad. Um, oh, but it's still like we are all here watching this happen, and there's something about that that is just satisfying. So tell us about our second sponsor. (laughs) All right, let's do it. Uh, Okay, so we're
1: sponsored by Oasis Audio, publisher of The Good Neighbor, The Life and Work of Fred Rogers. This is written by Maxwell King. And narrated by LeVar Burton. Yay! Uh, So, if you're riding the wave of Mr. Rogers' nostalgia with the rest of America, don't miss The Good Neighbor, the life and work of Fred Rogers. Maxwell King has written the first ever full-length biography of Mr. Rogers himself, tracing Fred's personal, professional, and artistic life through decades of work. And who better to voice the story of a PBS icon than LeVar Burton? best known as the host of Reading Rainbow, really needs no introduction. LeVar was personally mentored by Fred. I did not know that. Um, Anyway, between LeVar's undisputable knack for storytelling and the depth of King's content, the Good Neighbor audiobook is an exceptional listening experience. I learned something new just from that. Uh, so again, thank you so much to Oasis Audio, publisher of The Good Neighbor, The Life and Work of Fred Rogers, again, written by Maxwell King and narrated by LeVar Burton. Super cool. Okay, I'm going to go into the next question, and this one comes from Marina. Marina says, I think you've already had a previous question that went along these lines, uh, Mine is influenced by Sense8, which I just binge-watched again recently, so I have needs right now. What I'm looking for basically is a culturally diverse group of characters from different walks of life, but become a family and potentially fight against evil, of course. I don't really care about how they come together and why, I just want some good character-driven stories that leave me all warm on the inside. I'm open to any kind of fantasy or sci-fi. If you find literary or historical fiction, it totally works too. I can't really name all the similar books I've read, but I feel like you've probably recommend you'd probably recommend the Six of Crows duology. So just in case, been there, done that. Absolutely loved it. That was a good one. Uh, I'm really curious to see what you come up with, uh, Amanda. Do you want to go?
0: Sure, I would have recommended Six of Crows if you had. Yes, hadn't. So, so that's my like go-to found family kind of recommendation but i didn't for this one so it's fine um so i picked the expanse series by james s.a corey the first book is called leviathan wakes um this is like a big also tv series that sci-fi was hosting i think sci-fi canceled it and it's about to switch to amazon but i haven't watched the show so i can't say anything about how closely it sticks to the books or anything like that or if it's good a lot of people love it so grain of salt there um, but the first book is about a tiny little crew of, um, you know, like ragtag space folk, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, um, headed up by a man named Jim. And he is the exo ex- the like the chief officer, the guy number two on this ice miner in a kind of near future sci-fi universe in which humanity has colonized the solar system. We're on Mars. We're on the moon. Um, and a lot of colonies are in the asteroid belt, but we still haven't left the solar system. And in order to keep the asteroid belt colonies in water, um, my ice miners go like into the rings of Saturn and attach you know, giant glaciers to their ships and drag them on back to the asteroid belt to to provide water for people. So he, it, Jim is on one of these ice mining ships. One day his ship comes across the Scopola, Scopoli, which is an abandoned ship that has been putting out an SOS. So they stop to offer assistance, and when they get on the ship, they realize that it has been booby-trapped, and Jim and his crew of, like, four or five people who are on this little, um, they've left their their main ship, they're on a, what do you call it? A a smaller one. Shuttle. They're on a shuttle (laughs) to go, yeah, to check out What's going on and, you know, to help these people on this ship that's been, uh, that's setting out the SOS signal while they're on the shuttle, their original ship gets nuked, like by a stealth spaceship out of the blue. And then they find themselves embroiled in this big political secret. War breaks out between the asteroid belt and Mars. Um, all of this politics is happening. And these poor, like, five people have to figure out how to survive while making enemies on, like, every side because of what they find on that ship. At the same time, on one of the asteroid belt colonies, a guy named Detective Miller has been... He's a cop. He's been assigned a side case of locating a really ri- a rich girl who, like, ran away from her family. And he's been hired as like a, you know, like a freelance cop almost to go find her. And his storyline and Jim's storyline come together. uh, And, you know, like, Earth is threatened in the very existence of humanity. And it's like very dramatic. And the four or five, I think it's, it starts off with five, but I'm not going to tell you what happens after that. Uh, Folks on that shuttle um, really become like found family. You know, you're stuck together for years in a ship, in the middle of, like, a vacuum of space with people. You either hate each other or you all get married. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what happens here because they get on an even smaller ship, a little shuttle, and it's really a diverse cast of, uh, cast, you know, cast of characters. Um, in this imagined future, people come from all over both Earth and Mars and the asteroid belt. So there's both, like, ethnic diversity, but also, like, planetary diversity. It's just really interesting. And it is essentially, like, a noir... Murder mystery almost, except, you know, all of humanity is, is the victim in the chalk outline. So that is Leviathan Wakes, which is the first book in the Expanse series by James S.A. Corey, who is actually two people, two authors in a trench coat. Oh, interesting. Oh, did you not know that? I don't remember who I they didn't are. Know it's, that. A, it's two dudes. I can't remember the names. I'm so sorry. I'll put it in the show notes when I make the, um, the, the show notes on the site. But yeah, it's two. It's co written.
1: Cool. Well, my pick is Ragtag hippo folk. Um, This is an alternate history Wild West story that doesn't actually take place in the Wild West. It's River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey. And the book imagines this early 20th century US if the government had imported hippos into the Louisiana marshlands to be bred. So people ride around on hippos like their horses. And I don't know what's better than that. And by the way, I love this little fact about the book. The story is inspired by real-life circumstances where the government actually considered the idea of breeding hippos for meat, which sounds terrifying because hippos are quite dangerous. They used to be my favorite animal but they are quite dangerous. Uh, so the story is set in the bayou in the 1890s and it follows this gang of vigilantes. There's Houndtooth, who's the leader of the gang. He pulled them all together and he used to be a hopper, which is the hippo world equivalent of a cowboy, but now he's out for fortune and revenge And then there's Archie, a French woman and high-level con artist. Hero's this detonations expert, and Cal is the fastest gun in the West. And then there's Adelia, who's this amazing character. She's a contract killer. She rides two hippos. She's very, very pregnant throughout the story. (laughs) (laughs) But that does not stop her from being one of the fiercest characters in this book. Uh, And the gang's been... Sort of retired, or they're keeping it low key for various reasons. But Houndstooth pulls them into this big job with the promise of a lot of money if they succeed. And the con has to do with these feral hippos, which have become a huge problem, uh, predictably. But a sort of snidely whiplash villain and tycoon stands in their way. So, you you know, you get all the machinations of a big high story, which I love. And you get the cast of characters, which is diverse. The stakes are really high. They form friendships and relationships. Some of them had never met each other. Some of them knew of each other as legendary or whatever. But now they're all together and doing this thing. Um, And there are some surprises that happen along the way with the characters and the choices they make. But the caper is very real in this book. It feels almost spaghetti western in its absurdity. And the second book, Taste of Marrow, is out as well, and these are all novellas, so they're really quick reads. And yeah, I've been talking about River of Teeth by Sarah Gailey.
0: All right, question six is from Jessica, who says, My wife and I are starting the process of getting pregnant. I would love some books about a lesbian couple raising kids. I will also take gay, transgender, by, etc., but please nothing where the child or spouse dies. I love fiction, but I know there aren't many books out there on this topic, so any type of book is fine. All right, I'm going to speed through this one because we're running out of time. Uh, my pick for you is a middle grade novel called The Lotteries Plus One by Emma Donahue and Carolyn Hidalexano, um, and this is about a quote-unquote unconventional family of four best friends, the parents, are best friends, a gay couple and a lesbian couple, who, ha- who like, came together when one of the couples was having a child in the hospital and decided that the four of them should become... A family. So the four of them buy a huge, sprawling, like, 32-room house in Canada. Um, they've got children, both, like, biological and children they've adopted. They've got tons of pets. They're all very quirky. Um, and, like, the back of their house is called the, is the porch. Since it's in the back of the house, they call it the derriere. Like, I'm going <laughs> on in the derriere for some coffee. They're real funny. Um, and the, the book is told from the point of view of Sumac, who is nine years old. And I think she's the... I think the youngest or the oldest. I don't remember. Anyway, um, and she has to give up her bedroom for a grand- one of their grandfathers who is suffering from dementia, almost burned his house down, and is coming to live with them. Um, the problem is, he's not just like a grandpa. They call him grumps because he had like a falling out with his son. His son is uh, one of the uh, members of the gay couple who live in this house, and they haven't really spoken Um, So nobody's, like, excited about this kind of old-fashioned kind of old guy come and live with them. Um, And so Sumac gives up her room for this guy and then has to, like, come alongside him and show him how the house works and introduce him to everyone and, like, guide him all while he's dealing with, like, his dementia. But he also very openly disapproves with everything that the entire family does. He's not into... The multicultural household. He's not into LGBTQ parenting. He doesn't like their weird vegetables. He doesn't approve of their dogs. Like, he does not like anything that's happening here. Uh, One of the kids is questioning their gender identity, and he just, like, is not having it. And Sumac has to very, like, you know, respectfully be like, Grandpa, you're... Just kind of being the worst. Um, and through her point of view, you know, she's dealing with, like, everybody's racist uncle on Facebook, but she's nine. And so she doesn't really have, like, that knee-jerk anger reaction that a lot of us have to that. She has this, like, oh, well, obviously you are wrong because my family's awesome. We have a porch called the Air. Let me explain how wrong you are. Um, so it's just, like, very feel-good. No one dies. <laughs> you know, like, I'm old. None of the parents die. Um, and I, I don't know. The book got a little bit of flack for being, like, kind of like a millennial diverse utopia thing but I don't see why that's a problem I think that's kind of awesome uh, I would love to live in this huge old house with all of these like cool diverse people and all of their rad kids and their weird quinoa because quinoa's amazing um just don't name your kid quinoa that's like a step too far anyway so that is my pick for you and that is the lotteries plus one by Emma Donahue and Caroline Hidaluxano.
1: Okay, so I turned to our contributors for this one, and Kelly Jensen, editor and YA expert, suggested The Upside of Unrequited by Becky Albertalli. And I've heard so many good things about this book and its author. And the story features two moms, follows their twin daughters, one of whom is queer, And I don't normally read Goodreads comments, but I scan them for this (laughs) book. (laughs) Yeah. And I saw a five-star review from a queer mom who said this book and how it didn't fixate on the struggles meant a lot to her. So that also encouraged me to recommend the title. Uh, So the story is about twins, Molly and Cassie, with Molly at center stage. Molly is a fat girl. She's afraid of rejection. She's 17, crushing hard, but can't act on her attractions. And then her sister Cassie, Cassie doesn't really empathize with her. She thinks Molly should do something about these feelings and be done with it. And Cassie has crushes of her own. There's this cute girl she has her eye on. And this cute girl brings her cute friend into Molly's orbit. So Molly begins to consider what might happen if she did more than just crush in silence. But while she's pondering her attraction to Will, she also has to consider her awkward coworker Reed, who she may or may not be developing feelings for. So this is very much giving me to all the boys I've loved before feels, and that is perfectly fine by me. Uh, <laughs> it also has uh, lesbian characters on the page, and I really hope you enjoy it if you do pick it up. That was The Upside of Unrequited by Becky Albertalli. Okay, last question. Uh, This one comes from Kirsten. Kirsten says, uh, I'm in a major reading slump. I don't know how to cure it. I feel like reading romance novels would be what I need. However, I have no idea what to read. Recently, I've enjoyed The Sum of All Kisses by Julia Quinn and the Parasol Protectorate series by Gail Carriger. Also, I'm not into anything with trigger warnings if that helps. Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, I will just go ahead and blast through mine. (laughs) My recommendation is Warcross by Marie Lu, because when I'm in a reading slump, I tend to need action-packed stories, immersive worlds, and really interesting characters. This book has all of that, and it also has romance. It is not, however, a romance novel. I honestly to, you know, have not read enough romance to give many recommendations, but I will re-recommend Hot as Hades by Alicia Rye, which I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, but as for War Cross, it follows Emika Chen, who's this down-on-her-luck bounty hunter and part-time waitress. She lives, you know, a very low-budget life. She can't afford her rent, um, and she has a mark on her record that makes finding work she can really excel at difficult, and, her escape and many other people's escape is this video game called Warcross. There's this big technological development that happened in this version of the future. It's called Neurolink, and the Neurolink is a technology that makes the virtual world seem like a reality. So, a virtual reality, and it's a virtual reality you get in some cyberpunk books where the virtual world is this hyper-realistic setting. So, thanks to the Neuralink, the world has this game called Warcross, which is set in one of these hyper-realistic, gorgeous, fantastic virtual worlds. And there's this big tournament where teams battle it out each year. So, just, you know, I guess you think of Ready Player One, Um, but... Yeah. So this is all set up. You learn about it in the first few pages. The actual story unfolds around Emika Chen who loves Warcross but can't play competitively for a bunch of reasons. Um and then Neuralinks and Warcross's young inv- inventor Hideo Tanaka is this iconic handsome billionaire and Emika idolizes him and then they're brought together when Emika makes a really bad decision at the start of the Warcross championship games and her life gets completely turned around. In some ways she gains more security than she's ever had in her life and in others she's in really hot water and it's just adding to her tumultuous messy life but now she has to use her coding skills and bounty hunting -hunting talents within this world of Warcross. It's just really fun, action-packed, it also gives you some feels and the second book is out I think this month so, yeah, that's a duology, and that was, again, by uh, Warcross by Marie
0: Lou. I stuck with romances, and I picked the Brother Sinister series by Courtney Milan, because apparently all I'm recommending today is series. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. Um, the first book is called The Duchess War. My favorite one is The Suffragette Scandal, which is, I think, like, book four, but they are all equally good. I'm not going to do, like, a plot synopsis of each one, but I will say that uh, these are Regency historical, or no, they're Victorian. These are Victorian historical romance novels. And The Brother Sinister is like the name of a group of friends. Like it's a, you know, quote unquote secret society. But it's like five friends from college who call themselves The Brother Sinister. And each book focuses on a different friend. Um, one of whom is a woman, a duchess, I think. No, countess. She's countess. Um and some of the books, like one of the books is about a suffragette, the suffragette scandal. That one's my favorite. Um, one of them is about a duchess or um, no, a, like a girl who had to pretend to be a boy for her whole childhood. And then when she comes of age, she has to get married because of dollars and like she hates it. And that one's really great. That's the first one the duchess wore. But each book in the series is, is looking at a woman's experience from some kind of feminist perspective, whether it's, like, I have to get married and I don't want to give up who I am and, like, refusing to do that, um, to, like, issues of um, infertility and uh, issues of, you know, wanting to get the vote. Like, every, it's so deeply about the internal lives of women and how, how, like, the political is personal and um, how that plays out in our personal lives. And they're very modern topics, but told in this victorian lens also if you have an issue with like alpha holes in romance like if you do not like alpha dudes in your romance novels then courtney milan is your author the brother sinister series is full of beta dudes like they are fine with women doing whatever <laughs> like they're never going to shove a lady up against a wall in you know possessive passion that's that's not these guys these guys are like okay you know like they're very shruggy and like very sweet nice ways uh, not all of them, but most of them. She's really good at writing a beta hero. So that's Courtney Milan's Brothers Sinister series. The first one is The Duchess War, but the best one is The Suffragette Scandal. And that is our show! Yay! Huzzah. Thank you all so much for listening. Please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring our show. You can find us on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram these days, at I'm Amanda Nelson. I apologize for all the pictures of my children. (laughs) And Sharifa, where can they find you? (laughs) Also on
1: Instagram, I'm at S Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams.
0: And we will be back next week. Well, I will. I'll be back next (laughs) week with another fancy special guest. Until Jen comes back to us from Ireland. Talk to you all next week.